Hey, Dave, we have a, uh, a very special guest with us today, um, Alex Cap. Uh, you may know her name uh, from acting. Uh, there are We're going to give you a bunch of great examples of the things that she's done. She's also... Uh, she has a very unusual right, career. Should it. I say we call it? that a tease in a bit? Oh, okay. I'll save it. I'll save right. it for a tease because right now it's time for the Minutia Celebrity Interview. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Dramatic enough for you? You like that, Alex? Are you there? <laughs> Oh yeah, well I'm yeah, here. I was just, just oh, I was. You were jamming. You were air guitaring, weren't you? I was speechless with, because of what I just listened to that opening credit. Yeah, I just have to wipe the tears. Okay. Off my All right. Great. Yeah. Uh, during her uh, three-decade acting career, you've seen her in in shows like Friends. I know. Sorry. Wait, did you, hey, I think I just heard an UG. Was that an UG? What did you hear there? We're older yes, than you was. are. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah, we're older. Anything you've been doing as an adult for thirty years means yeah. that you're just really old. That's all. Well, continue. when you have credits like this i mean you were in friends seinfeld er two and a half men the new adventures of old christine where you co-starred for many years and currently the uh, uss enterprise computer <laughs> in star trek. trek strange new worlds uh mm-hmm. but as we're going to learn in a second not just an actress she has another career which is just as interesting please welcome to the show alex cap alex how are you well i am just fantastic <laughs> thank you for asking yeah. well that's good you know what we ask everybody yeah and, you know, oh you do yeah, yeah. Dave, oh, okay. Dave you're ruining well, the then mystique. I'm not as good I'm not as good <laughs> so a couple of months ago we had uh, Molly Hagen on the show and she she played a nun who was smitten with Kramer on Seinfeld and now we have right. you well, that's thrilling. who played George's girlfriend Mora on the show tell us about that experience because you know obviously Seinfeld at the time one of the biggest shows in the world. How, how did that change your life? Oh, it, it was kind of unbelievable, actually. I mean, you know, it was the last season, so it was a huge hit at that point. I mean, you know, it was as big as it ever got. And even the way I got the job was thrilling. It was just, a, you know, it was it was a game changer for me. And it actually kind of started off a whole bunch of all the other acting jobs because, you know, once you, did a, once you do a Seinfeld, that's kind of, that's kind of the, you know, the aspirational goal. So, so what is the story of how you got the job? Well, funny you should ask. Um, so it was very rare, but it was a Saturday morning um, audition, which I never happens ever, but it was Seinfeld. So, of course, you go. But I, at the time, being in my 20s, um, didn't think through going out the night before and having quite <laughs> cocktails so i'm not really sure what i was thinking but clearly um i wasn't thinking much and so i was a, a little unwell on saturday morning i mean just the idea that i would ever do that today so stupid and irresponsible in any case that's I did, what i was i did that with the yeah. act and that's why i ended up at the university of illinois so uh, yeah see that's what happens and i like that you only took it once so yeah, like, exactly. I, why bother trying again yeah right good enough yeah. is good enough Alec. it's fine it's, it's fine so anyway yeah so saturday morning audition i'm wearing i just remember i was wearing a silk shirt which was a really bad choice if you're hungover anyway you know it's just anyway so and there was a sort of a hallway with all these women um probably 20 15 20 women and i realized at the time that they were they were auditioning two parts. So there were two um, guest stars on that episode, but I didn't quite know that. And I was just sort of trying to keep myself together. And 
So everybody went in one by one. We all sat there. And normally you go in for an audition. You sit there, you go in, you read, you leave. Some Once in a blue moon, they'll have you wait and they'll kind of sort of say whatever. Anyway, in this case, we all had to wait. So uh, it was my turn. I got up to walk in the room. And also, by the way, let me back up. There were a lot of famous people there. So by the time I walked in, I was like, there is no way in God's green earth I'm getting this job because it was like famous actresses. And I thought, you know, in the last season, there's no way they're going to hire me, but whatever. I'll throw one away. And Who are some of the so names? Th- throw some names out there. Oh, gosh, I will not. People that I you beat out for this it. role. I, yeah. Were they but hungover, too? The <laughs> yes, they were all hungover, really hungover. Um, no, one of the names I will say was Ileana Douglas, because I'll say that because she's actually in the episode, and I'll explain that in a minute, too. Okay. So, But when I saw her, I was like, she was a big independent film star at the time, and I thought, well, there's just not, yeah, she's going to get it. I'm not going to get it. So I walk in, and lo and behold, it's Larry David, and Jerry Seinfeld in the room. Oh and I'm going to be reading with Jerry Seinfeld, which was like, holy shit. I can't believe I, oh God, I can't believe I'm hungover. What, what is, what's wrong with me? So, um, and we started the scene and he was just reading George's part. You know, he was reading George and I was reading Maura. And it was the very first time I said no. Mm. I think, you know, he just says, I'm breaking up with you. Mm. And I just say no. And I, I caught Jerry looking at, Larry and they exchanged a look and I can't describe it but I kind of was like oh my god I think I just booked this job it was a weird it was just a weird little moment but they looked at each other and kind of smirked and I thought shit I I think I just got this job off one word so I finished the scene they were laughing I was laughing I'm absolutely certain I told them I was hungover because I have a huge big mouth and so I walked (laughs) And I sat down and I was waiting and then everybody else went in, including Ileana Douglas. And so um, then they, Mark Hirschfeld, the casting director, who's a wonderful man, he came out and he said, um, Ileana. And before he even finished saying her name, I already grabbed my bag and was out the door. And he was like, Alex, wait, where are you going? I was like, what do you mean? You just said Ileana. It goes, oh my God, so awkward. Ileana, you come with me, Alex. You got the job. Ileana, wow. you got the other part. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Oh, oh my God. And so at that point, she kind of, I felt bad because then she was like, shit, I got the smaller part. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And that was it. And we literally walked out. All the other actresses left, you know, dejected. It's, it's awful to be that actress. I've been it a million times. <laughs> and then we just turned around and walked straight to the table read you know two doors down we were at cbs wow. Radford, which is and that was it we started at saturday morning table read so that was it walked right on to the job and uh it was like one of the best weeks of my life it was just fabulous wow. every single bit of it but fabulous, you, you know when fabulous. you you said that the word no is the thing that clicked uh if people haven't seen that oh, episode it's great, it's great. It, that was the whole point. Uh, he tried to break up with you. George tried to break up with you, and you just said no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was yeah. like the key. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. It was the key right. word in the whole episode. So you right. nailed that. So, right. Yeah. So that was it. Was pretty thrilling, and it you know, and it and it went really well too. You know, to this day, you know, people remember that because it is just so oh, absurd that he's just he's like, I'm breaking up with yeah. you. No, yeah. no, you're not. Oh, okay. And he just comes in so easily. He's just quit. He's like, okay. Yeah. So you read. So you read with Jerry. What, what do you think you would do? Jason Alexander would read. Isn't that kind of weird that Jerry would read George's part? Why wouldn't George? I mean, or... no. It is a little weird. I was surprised. I will say, but you know, they were. 
they were so the showrunners that it, it you know normally you'd read with the casting director or you'd read with right. they you you might do a chemistry read with the actual person but you know i think they just wanted their hands were in every bit of it because they write it and it's their show so i think they just it it was surprising but it wasn't that surprising okay. if that makes sense i have just one more question about this uh, and, yeah. that, and that is, what kind of cocktails were you drinking the night before? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. You know, probably I was in my 20s, so probably something like Cosmos. Okay. I mean, it was the 90s, so right. some horrible thing with a lot of sugar in it <laughs> is what I'm guessing. And that was in New York, and, right? Uh, no, no, it was no, here. LA. It was oh, here. I'm in LA. Yeah. Yeah. It was LA. Yep. See, just, Dave, the show was work. set in New York. But <laughs> can really? they yeah. do that? Can you actually set a <laughs> no. show and not be part of the. <laughs> you can make it look like another city. Whoa. Can they do that? That's... I think we just cracked the code there. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, and a oh, year later, you're cool. like, okay, Seinfeld, Schmeinfeld, let me do Friends, which was just. May perhaps just as big at that time. Yeah, that was, and that was a little less fun, only because I had a I had a bigger part that then sort of got cut down for time, and so that was sort of disappointing. I'm like, ah, eh. so I kind of wanted it to be bigger, and they were also so hugely famous at that yeah, point that yeah. it was awkward being there. I mean, not nobody was unkind or anything. It's just that when you've got a tight knit group like that and you come in as a guest star for a week it feels sort of and i had had a history with matthew perry so i knew him oh that sounds interesting i had a history with matthew perry it's not that interesting and i guarantee you he doesn't remember it but he (laughs) he he does but you know but it was funny because there was (laughs) one of those moments he he had said do you want to go have lunch and i was like oh sure you know when you're a guest star on a big show you tend to kind of you tend to go small you know you do your acting performance but when you're not doing your acting performance you kind of hide out in your dressing room yeah, you're not stay out of the oh, way. Hey, what's, what's going on over here can i see what shots you're doing <laughs> oh god so you just kind of stay small and do your thing and hey jennifer you want to hang out yeah yes do you guys yeah. want to hang out and yeah. talk and run lines yeah that's not what you do i can make cosmos <laughs> oh, god. so yeah so anyway he kind of said let's go out you want to have lunch and i said great and then I don't remember the actual order of things, but it was just sort of vaguely humiliating. I I think I went to his room or I walked by. They were all sitting. They must have had like one of their dressing rooms. It was sort of where they all hang out because that's what we used to do on Old Christine. It's like our room was the room everybody hung out in. And uh, I, I think he said something to them like, all right, I'm going to go take where Alex and I are going to go have lunch or something like that. I probably didn't use my name. And then they were all like, oh, but. Maddie, don't you remember we have that lunch we have to do, that meeting that we're doing? And I, it could have been true, but it was oh. the part that thought maybe they were trying to like, he didn't want to have lunch with me, then they were giving him an out. Anyway, whatever it was, it might have been true or not, but I was I was like, oh, I'm not going to lunch with Matthew Perry. And so we did not. Oh, there you go. Wow. Not a sad ending to the story. Really sad That's good. actually that, that is very cool. You know, I hate him now. <laughs> I hate all of them for what they did to you. you. Hate every one of them now because they're all horrible people. <laughs> yeah. Patently false. Yes. Uh, so after you, I mean, I think people probably know you best from your time uh, with uh, Julie Julia Louis Dreyfus on the show, The New Adventures of Old Christine, and your character Lindsay was you know one of the big characters. And mm-hmm. you were there for five seasons. That was a, a pretty good gig, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, it was just the greatest gig of all. I really was. And it wasn't, the show was never a huge hit. She won an Emmy for it, but like we weren't invited. 
um, which is always thought was funny. We're like, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Anderson, <laughs> you remember that me meeting we've got to do? You know? That's right. Oh my God. So yeah, yet again, just poor Alex. But uh, yes, the great, the the it was a phenomenal show. Unbelievable group of people. Unbelievable experiences. Like I mean, just even remember. I just it was incredible. I could just name a million, but. Um, one of the highlights of it was that I met Trisha O'Kelly, who played. So we played these two meanie moms, is what we were called. These bitchy. But you were kind of nice at points too, right? I it, was nicer. Yeah, yes. they really mean meaned her up. She yeah. was always like, "The audience hates me. They hate me." But she and I ended up becoming truly the best of friends. We're like sisters to this day, and there's a oh, whole backstory great. of that, which I'll tell you, which is actually really cool. But. So she had a dressing room. I had a separate dressing room because that's what they do. And when Wanda Sykes came on the show in the second season, she was put in a trailer, sort of we were at Warner Brothers, and she was put in a trailer kind of far away. And since Trisha and I were inseparable, and I mean, from the minute we met at the table read, we were inseparable. We never weren't best friends again. It was pretty amazing. And so Trisha was like, listen, I don't use my dressing room ever except to, you know, poop. So I'll just come stay in yours. And so we basically, Trisha gave up her dressing room to give it to Wanda. And then she and I kind of shared a room because who cares, right? We're best friends. We're always together anyway. And then we started writing together in there and all that. So we had just a, a wonderful time. But everybody else in the show was incredible. You know, Emily Rutherford, Clark Gregg, Hamish Linkletter, Julie was incredible. Carrie Lizer, who produced, wrote and, you know, created the show as a longtime friend and She's just amazing. And it was just a wonderful experience, top to bottom. Just loved every minute of it. And uh, I wish it had gone on forever, but it didn't. That was five five seasons. Right? That's pretty good. And five that's, seasons. that's a good run. A TV, that's like, uh, you know, a lifetime. Yeah. It was good. And there was a short season because we had a writer's strike then, too. We're in one now. Um, yeah. But yeah. there was a writer's strike back then. So we had one shorty season. But it was just great. And subsequently, and this is just the addendum to that story. So Trisha and I have been friends for years and years and years. And um, about 10, eight, I don't know, a while ago, she got divorced. And then I got divorced. And then we, I moved to a different house and she had her house. And so in 2019, she said, you know, I know you're struggling because I was paying just an exorbitant amount of rent for this house because I had to move in with my kids, blah, blah. So I, Trisha and I, tricked out her garage which already had had a bedroom and a bathroom upstairs and i ended up moving into her she we have a running joke that i say garage she says guest house <laughs> but i ended up moving into her garage for three years and thank god because when covid happened yeah. there we were i had my two now uh, basically adult children who had to move into the garage with me and because my younger daughter was still in high school doesn't matter Anyway, and she has two younger daughters, so we had this incredible sort of co-living experience before and through COVID that kind of saved both of us. We ended up making like 42 YouTube videos, like these two-minute videos about, about isolation, and my daughter edited them, and they're hilarious, and we had the best time ever. I mean, and, it was just incredible. And they're on so, YouTube? So Are these videos on YouTube still? Yeah, they're on YouTube. I think they're called, they're terrible names and whatever, but they're really well edited. They're funny as all get out. They're called, I think it's just called Coronavice, Coronavirus, because that's how early we started. Coronavirus isolation, Trisha and Alex or something like that. But they are funny and you should um, watch them. But it was great. So you had just mentioned your daughter was in high school, right? When this was happening. Yeah, uh, I had one. I have two daughters. One was in high school. One was in college. And so my younger daughter graduated in the car, which was annoying. Yeah, we had that school, with my eighth but, graders. My eighth yeah. graders. Yeah, was it was everybody suffered through that year. It was a that was a weird one. So and then my older daughter was in college, but came home for spring break and never went back yeah. because of COVID. So yeah. 
suddenly I was sharing a bed with my 20, 19 year old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was fun. I'm yeah. worried that in like, um, I don't know, 14 years, 12 years, planes are going to just start falling out of the sky and bridges are going to collapse because no one learned shit during that time in college or high school. Yeah, you know? Oh, yeah, so, oh, right. The kids, yeah. yeah. They just mailed it in. There was no education. I mean, and I'm a yeah. college professor, so yeah. I know yeah. firsthand that, yeah, we're going to have all sorts of trouble when they all get real jobs and stuff. Yeah, it's, maybe oh, we'll I, be gone I, by then. You know, that's... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry. We'll all be dead because yeah. we're all so old. <laughs> that's the plan. Um, no, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I have... A, almost stepson and he you know he basically he was in i don't know fourth fifth sixth grade and it but it was three years he yeah, didn't get right. a lot yeah. of education nothing yeah. you know yeah. that he just was it was these kids were failed i mean it was awful and yeah. it was nobody's fault it's just you know yeah i agree well their high school years kind of sucked but so did yours in a way uh, yeah, i want to just talk and spend a little yeah. bit of time <laughs> about yeah mine you, sucked too yeah, yeah. We, we, we call that a segue in the best yeah, did you notice good. how i did that yeah. uh i did it was really crafty i'm, pr- I'm proud of you yeah. that was good so in like 19 it was 1986 and i remember this so we're in 1986 i was 23 we were 23 you were yeah well you were 16 wow we are significantly <laughs> older than you um you guys are Way oh, older than way us. Way like, older. We like older. the term mature, yeah. Alex, but <laughs> you can okay. use old. That's fine. I, I'm gonna. But so, <laughs> so you uh, you were kind of uh, catapulted into the limelight, let's say. I don't know if limelight's the right word, but in 1986, um, you were part of the notorious preppy killer case. Now, you were not the killer. You were the girlfriend of the preppy killer, who was um, Robert Chambers. Um, Correct. For those of you of a certain age, we remember that because that was his. I mean, it was cover of yeah, it was huge. cover of People magazine and hard copy did yeah. a thing, and that was what everybody. I mean, it was like the Bobbit try. I mean, it was maybe yeah. not quite as big as OJ, but it was it huge. was it was big. And you obviously were dragged into this because you were dating, uh, like I said, Robert Chambers, who ended up being convicted for being the preppy killer. Um, and this case had everything, right? It had sex and money and good-looking people and members-only jackets and everything, yeah, right? Deck you know? shoes. Um, talk yeah. just a little bit about that. I mean, good God, that must have been horrible. You know, I will just, I will say this. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. It was actually, it was, it was a, it was a game changer. So I was 16 and I had, I lived in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, which is a very tony part of New York City. It still is to this day. It's like where Park Avenue is and all that. And um, but I never quite felt like I fit in. It was my mom had remarried my dad, my stepdad, who's now my officially my dad, because he adopted my sister and me last year, even in our fifties. Anyway, but yeah, that's a really sweet story. But anyway. Um, so I always felt like I didn't quite belong anyway in that world. You know, I had grown up in it, but I mean, I was truly going to school with, and knew people like, you know, Rockefellers and mm. Coolidge's and Roosevelt's and they're, I mean, you know, just some really old sort of wealthy families who had houses in the Hamptons and, you know, Nantucket. And it just, it was a very, it's a very interesting kind of weird way to grow up. And it was also the eighties. Um, so New York was a lot different. It was not very gentrified. So the Upper East Side was much different from other areas, you know, like downtown wasn't cool yet. It was kind of scary. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, I went to Brooklyn once in my whole life and, you know, it was just a different time. So, um, I started hanging out at this bar 
Yes, oh, I was. There's in, another the bar story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more bars for Alec. Well, now you kind of get why. Now you see how it got where it got. Yeah. So um, maybe anyway. some of these are your choices. I'm just saying this right now. Well, you know, I like to put all my the bad things that happen to me on other people and make them other people's fault. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fine. Easier. So, um, in any case, I had been hanging out at this bar called Dorian's for years, a couple years, and, you know, was was in the in crowd at that point. Like, you know, they opened the velvet rope for me. It's a little weird. I was probably 14, 15 years old, but that was more normal then. And, um, and yes, I had a fake ID. It was my sister's passport, and it got stolen and ended up at Bellevue Mental Hospital. That's a whole other story. Wow. But, um, yeah. So... And I met this guy and I, he kind of popped out of nowhere. He was incredibly good looking, really tall, like six, five, um, brown hair, these shocking kind of icy blue eyes. And he just pursued me. Like it was just a, and that never, I didn't feel like that was something that normally happened to me. So it was kind of like I'd won the prize a little bit and he just knew, uh, what to say. And, and he didn't have to say that much cause he was really handsome. And yeah, I was a 16 year old. So that counted for a lot. And, um, so and and so we were dating probably from I don't know like this spring of my junior year in high school um early spring sort of and he was a little older 3 years older I was 16 he was 19 and he just like it was almost like being in a soap opera I mean he would say all these really th- things that like young girls imagine you know cute boys saying to them and and but there was this sort of kind of theme of he would say stuff that didn't quite make sense like little little things that i would that wouldn't line up and my gut was sort of like this is weird i thought he said he was you know going to be with his mom that day then it turns out he wasn't or you know i was working in a drugstore a little kind of far you know fancy drugstore with like lipsticks and things and a lip liner went missing and a pack of cigarettes and my boss pulled me aside and said did you steal stuff and i was like i would never in a million years which I wouldn't and still haven't ever stolen anything. But he had just come to visit me at the store and he somehow stole a lip liner and a pack of cigarettes. Like, why does this guy want a lip liner? Like just hmm. weird things like that. And so, and my mom couldn't stand him. She always used to say he was too tall for our apartment, which I thought was really <laughs> Your mom, but, you might be and, missing the point a little bit on this. <laughs> yeah, that may not be his biggest issue, but that's cool. Um, so anyway, it was, he would not show up to places. He would, say he was going to be one place and not be there and then um but i was madly 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 in love like my first real you know crush you know i was 16 but you know uh so we kind of we dated all the way through the spring and the summer and because it was summer nobody had school so it was kind of a lot you know later nights and all that and um sort of after a bunch of different stories, I'm not telling this particularly well, but after a bunch of different stories that he had told me, things just started to not line up. And I I had to, I was ignoring my gut over and over and over again. My instinct was sort of screaming at me, this isn't right. But I just didn't want him to break up with me. And I didn't want to make, well, see, I could have just said no and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so he, there was a night that he had come over and my parents were, I had been out of town. Um, we, my family goes away for about a month in the summer to Colorado. And I begged them to let me come home. And I don't, to this day, can't believe they did, but they did. And just as a, as an aside, the, I came home from LaGuardia Airport with my suitcase. And I went straight to the bar and put my suitcase behind the bar. Like, that's how sort of, it was a, it was strange. Like, I didn't even go home first. So that's how much I was feeling like I was, I had FOMO. 
<clears throat> so I saw him. Um, he came over to my apartment, which would never have been allowed if my parents were home, but I was playing grown up. And um, and then he was at sort of the middle of the night and he said, I got to go. And I said, OK, well, OK, that's fine. And he said, I don't I don't have any money um, and I want to I want to take a cab home. Can I borrow some money? And I said, OK, there's a five and a 50 in my wallet. Just take the five. And the 50 was the money I had for the week, which is kind of funny. 1986. Yeah, but my say, parents five bucks worth. $50 bill. That was, they were like, good luck. Have fun. That should be plenty for you to eat yeah, and yeah. You know, survive <laughs> for the next seven days. So um, I again, my instinct, he left and I just suddenly went, I'm going to check my wallet. And I did. And my wallet was empty. And I panicked and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, did he just take my money? So I called him and no cell phones at the time. It's, again, 1986. And he answered. And this is all within five minutes. So there's no possible way he could have gotten home to his apartment to answer the phone in that short of amount of time unless he'd taken a cab. He didn't live that far. He lived about 15 blocks away, which is about exactly three quarters of a mile. But he couldn't have run that. He's not a runner. That was not going to happen. So I said, hey, listen, you just took I think you took the 50 and the five by accident, thinking that maybe he just sort of put two bills together. I said, I hope you didn't give the, the cab driver the 50. And he paused and he said, I didn't take anything out of your wallet. And yeah, it was it, it was like, oh, my God. 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 He stole my money. And it was all of a sudden, it was just an avalanche that just hit me like, a, you know, it was a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, my God, this is it, he is there's something wrong here. So I was horrified. I the next day of course, called him and I just wanted to resolve it. Certainly didn't want to break up with him because I was so in love with this kid. So I told him to meet me early at the bar and early means eight o'clock as opposed to 11, which is when we <laughs> used to get there. And so I said, I need to talk to you because, you know, you need to whatever. In the meantime, and tell me if I'm going on too long. No, no, no. Um, no. Uh, I was supposed to be staying with these friends of mine and their parents. That's why I wasn't supposed to be staying in my own apartment. I was supposed to be staying with my two friends who were twin girls, fraternal twins, lovely. And they were both, they were very Catholic family. And one of the twins had um, gone to Planned Parenthood to get, um, this is just whatever, to get birth control because she was, um, had a boyfriend and call it in, in high school, but didn't want her parents to know because they were very Catholic. So right. she went to Planned Parenthood and they give you a big paper bag at the time of all these sort of dental, like condoms and dental dams. It was just this <laughs> stuffed bag of stuff. And she asked me to hold it for her. And I said, sure, I'll keep it in my bag. And I had my gap purse and I saw, you know, my nylon bag. So I was carrying around this paper bag full of condoms and dental dams. And that's what I had in my bag when I went to the bar at eight o'clock to meet him. So eight o'clock goes by, nine o'clock goes by. And then this girl kind of that I'd met a t once or twice was sort of, I could tell kind of maybe talking about me or I got that bitchy girl vibe sort of dealing uh -huh. with a couple girls. And I thought, what is, what are they doing? I felt like almost like I was being laughed at and who knows if that was true. Regardless, she came up to me and made some comment. Um, and it was sort of odd. And she gave me a little friendship bracelet. We were all macrameing these little string bracelets at the time. And I had made one for him. And she gave me hers. And I was like, why does she want to be my friend? It was weird. <clears throat> but I'm panicked because he's just not showing up. He's just not, you know, it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And finally around 10.30, he saunters in, completely ghosts me, you know, doesn't look at me, and goes and sits down at the bar. And at this point now, I'm just livid because, you know, now he's two and a half hours late. 
completely not acknowledging that he's stolen my money and that he's late and it's you know i'm ready to i'm ready to fight not to break up but just to be you know cause a scene and i'm very dramatic as you may have noticed in this call <laughs> and also became an actress for it so i you know i i walked up to him he's at the bar he was all surly and i said you know you're late and he said well i had to stop and i had an emergency and you you have no idea what it was and i was like did you want to tell me what it was it's my little brother tried to kill himself and i was like little brother you're an only child like, what are you talking <laughs> what about in the world? and he's like no my not my real little brother my little brother from the big brother little brother program i'm like you gotta be kidding me like you are not a volunteer at anything like it was so absurd it would like it, it was absurd it made no sense so i was like you're just flat out lying to my face this is crazy and i said you know what and at that moment i realized oh my god I know what I can do. And in my purse, I grabbed that paper bag and I said, you know what? Use these with someone else because you're not going to get the chance to use them with me. And I threw the bag in his face and condoms and dental dams rained over his head. <laughs> and all the and patrons all <laughs> and landed on the floor. And if I, it was like a John Hughes movie. Everyone, it was like a record scratch moment. And everybody looked over and and people were laughing. I mean, it was it was absurd, right? It was this absurd moment. I was furious, but I was, you know, also really proud of my moment. And that was it. And I said, that's it. I'm done. So I left the bar with my friends early, like one in the morning, which I never did. <laughs> and usually it was four. And I left and because I, I was trying to prove my point. I'm done. I'm so mad at you. By the time I got back to my friend's apartment, I couldn't sleep. I called him at somewhere like three or four in the morning and said, okay, fine. Listen, just come meet me outside my building tomorrow. We need to talk. Because, of course, I immediately regretted throwing the things right. in his face. Right, those condoms, I man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want those condoms back. <laughs> so, um, and he didn't answer. And, I, you know, it was probably four in the morning. And at this point now, I'm starting to backpedal. Like, oh, my God, what have I done? He's going to break up with me. Is it over? I didn't mean to break up with him. I love him. I've made a mistake. Uh -huh. Totally doubted myself. Totally undermined my own instincts and self-worth. It was horrible. So the next day, I brought um, Hershey's chocolate milk and cigarettes because we all smoked that back then yeah. and waited outside my building on this on my front stoop for three hours and as the clock ticked by he did not show he didn't show he didn't show he didn't show and at that point i was just beside myself and i went upstairs to my apartment called my mom and said i think i broke up with him and i didn't mean to and my mom's weirdest thing in the world she said from colorado why are you in our apartment and I was like, why oh. is that what you're focused yeah, on? Right. But she had something, something clicked. Something was off for her. I, as Some a mother, intuition now I or something. Right? Yeah, that, it yeah. was. And I said, I don't know, but why do you care where I am? I'm sobbing and whatever. And so I fell to my bed. And then my friend whom I was supposed to be staying with called and said, you need to come over. And I said, well, I'm not coming over. I'm not going out. I'm devastated. And she said, no, no, no. You need to come over right now. Like you need to come back here. And I said, I can't. I don't even have money for a cab. She said, my doorman will pay your cab fare. Just come over. So I was mad. You know, I didn't want to go over there. And I showed up in a cab. Doorman paid the cab driver. And my friend is standing there in pajamas, you know, with slippers on. Because we were in high school. And I was like, what are you doing? You made me come all the way over here. And you're not even dressed. Like, what is going on? And she had a New York, um, a, a New York Post in her hand. And I was like, what is going on? And, and basically, on the cover of the New York Post, the girl who had made the comments to me the night before she had been murdered and i don't remember exactly whether at that point his name was in it but it was very obvious i can't remember but i i truly never in my life since this happened completely passed out like just cold wow fainted.
And um, and at that point, it just like the whole world turned upside down. So he didn't show up at my apartment because he had already been arrested because he went to Central Park with her after I left the bar and they were having sex. And apparently he'd already been having sex with her and multiple amounts of other girls. And um, he killed her. He strangled her. So um, and so she was she was found by a jogger just an hour later. I think he killed her at four or five in the morning and her body was found under a tree behind the Metropolitan Museum. And he was apparently sitting on a wall watching as the cops showed up. He just sat there and watched and then eventually made his way home. And in the early days after, you know, the police came immediately to me and it was horrible. You know, I was it was awful because I had to start school in a couple of weeks and they would show up at my school and. I couldn't, you know, it was just awful. And so he, um, in the early days when the cops first showed up, they asked me if he had a cat. And I said, yeah, why? And they said, well, you know, does this, does this cat nice or whatever? I said, no, his cat's, I don't know, he's declawed. But, you know, he's basically he had told them he his cat had scratched his face. And so I unfortunately, well, I sort of threw him under the bus because I didn't realize why they were asking. But I was still protecting him. I everybody still thought everybody still thought that it was an accident. And unfortunately, just because of the times, um, you know, she was severely, severely, for lack of a better phrase, slut shamed. She it was a very big case of blame the victim. And I didn't know her at all, and I wouldn't say we were even slightly friends. And I, I didn't. She didn't make a great impression on me. But the, you know, she was an eighteen-year-old girl who was murdered. I mean, she was murdered. Yeah. So, none of us believed that until months and months later. Um, but I continued to talk to him, which I deeply regret. Um, he started reaching out to me from Rikers Island, which is where he was in jail, awaiting trial. <laughs> and um, he started writing me, and then that sort of morphed into started calling me, and. Um, and the I've told the story before, but when he finally he got out on bail and the bail was put up by the owner of the bar, Mr. Dorian, that's another big Catholic family. These are all Irish Catholic families. He was Robert Chambers, a big Irish Catholic family. Um, and he was staying for a time. And this is kind of the creepy part that I just found out about a couple of years ago. He was staying. He was an altar boy for a priest named Thomas McCarrick, um, who was the arch. Yeah, he just got. He he yeah. Yeah, he just got. He had to resign or whatever. Yeah, right. I he mean, did they, yeah. because he's been. He's now apparently saying he's got. You know, he's dementia, dementia and stuff. But he was a child molester. Yeah. And and when I did a documentary about this a couple of years ago for the Sundance Channel AMC, um, the fabulous women who directed it, whom I went to college with, they had uncovered this the fact that he was he was an altar boy for a child molesting priest. Yeah. And this boy, this kid. Robert Chambers, his life started to hit the skids when he was 12, 13, 14 years old. Hadn't really had a lot of issues before that, but then started failing out of school and doing drugs. And it all kind of, I don't know the history. I don't know for sure, but it sure does seem to make sense to me. I don't know. It just seems weird, but it's no excuse, but it definitely something must, I, I believe something must have happened to him because yeah, it just, I mean, it's, it's, it's too weird. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I saw, I went up to see him and I actually went to his apartment Obviously, didn't tell anybody. Um, told my parents I was going to go to see art in a museum. They should have known right in that moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> you hate art. Yeah, exactly. You Name three like artists. Art. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, I showed up. He answered the door. I've, t- I've told this before, too. I was 16, right? So I was like, oh, my gosh, are we going to make out? Yeah, like, yeah, I was still yeah. really sort of taken by Smitten. him. And yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And we sat down in his room, closed the door. His mom was home, but we closed the door, sat down in his room, and he had, we were doing Mad Libs, you know, where you fill in words. I, I don't even know why that is a memory, but it is. And as I'm sitting there, I look over. And he's got his, like this sort of old pre-war wooden little desk. Like it's just this un- ugly little desk thing. And under it was just stacks and stacks of newspapers. And I kind of looked over at it and I looked at him and I said, wow, well, I guess jokingly, I said, well, I guess you got what you wanted. You know, you're famous now. No. And he gave me a look and I, I don't know how else to say it except that I have never felt fear like that in my entire life ever, ever before since I thought I, I, I was like, what have I, what have I done? And I knew right in that moment what that what had happened was not an accident. I just knew it. I just knew it. He there was something in this look that was so terrifying. And so I had to pretend it. I didn't feel that way. And I. Oh, hey, I just realized it's late. I should probably get out. Meanwhile, my heart is racing like I thought it would jump out of my throat. And so I sort of backed up and opened the door slowly. And it was like a movie. I sort of walked out backwards. Okay, well, you know, I'll see you soon. And where are you going? Well, now I should probably go. My mom, anyway, I'll, I'll try mm-hmm. to catch you later. And as I backed out, he actually had an elevator that opened into the apartment directly. And I backed into the elevator and pressing the button, trying not to look like I'm, you know, going to have a, a heart attack. And I, it didn't happen, but I swear if, as the door was closing, I almost pictured his arm just popping through the thing and stopping oh the door. Yeah. I have, I, the elevator door closed. I got down and I ran home so fast, busted in my door and just you know, sobbing and told my parents, Oh my God, I went to see him. I'm sorry. This was a terrible thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, and, and that's sort of where it all kind of, it, then it was done, you know, wow. didn't see him again. And, um, he called and I had to pretend to be my own mother and said, if you ever call this house again, um, I'll have you killed or something like that. Because that's the kind of thing my mom would say. <laughs> and, uh, we hate tall people here. Have that... I mentioned yeah. how tall you are? Yeah. Wasn't that what Jennifer <laughs> Aniston said to you about lunch? She said, don't yeah. get out of this room or we're going to kill you. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so that's it. And he ended up getting eventually convicted, but not of murder. He got five to 15 years for manslaughter and um it was a it was a true travesty of justice because you know he killed this girl yeah, I mean, right. he just absolutely did wow. but everyone you know he got girlfriends and and groupies and had all these girls in bikinis around you know like people he, it's you know good looking yeah. killers are yeah. popular oh, is there a thing? Yeah. i guess um, a thing. Yeah. But, but yeah like I, I mean i remember it vividly seeing this i mean yeah. almost to a point where like, i don't want to see this anymore i mean it was all yeah. over yeah it was place. everywhere I mean, just everywhere it was everywhere so you yeah, know it was uh, all, it followed me for you know it's followed me for the rest of my life i mean not really there was a chunk of years in there where it, it didn't come up but then this documentary came up and i thought you know i've never talked about it publicly really and um and i'm sort of i'd already been writing at, when i got divorced i started writing kind of copious amounts of things about my divorce and it sort of dawned on me that there were some similarities not with you know nothing like that but right. but i've so i've been writing down uh the story from my perspective and it's turn it's going to be a book so there you go that's, that's okay. what's happening well all right yeah. so you mentioned divorce right uh, we uh, yes. we teased this at the top of the show um you are a divorce coach which is an interesting, uh, uh, you know, just a career option that uh, maybe people <laughs> right. wouldn't have seen coming here. Uh, tell us about <laughs> how you became a divorce coach uh, and and what that means. Okay. Well, 
it's funny. I've just recently decided to start calling it divorce management as opposed oh. to coaching because I, okay. well, don't worry because it, it's, I'm certified as a divorce coach, whatever, you know, but, um, bottom line is I got divorced in 2014 or whatever, it took a couple of years, but 2016 officially. And I have two daughters and it was horribly hard. And, uh, you know, I did a, I, as my own lawyer said to me, I did a bang up job. But it was hard. Divorce is terrible. You know, I was married for almost 20 years and it was uh, sudden and uh, it it's not fun. It's no fun for anybody. And when I finished my divorce, uh, my lawyer took me out to lunch and, and he said, have you ever thought about, have you ever heard of a divorce coach? And I said, I sure haven't. And he said, I think that would be something you'd be really good at. So um, I didn't know what it was. And basically what it is, and the reason I'm calling it divorce management as opposed to coaching is... When you go through a divorce, um, first of all, you're, comp- you know, often most people are pretty emotionally wrought. You know, it's it's uh, a grief like up there with death and moving and all the rest of them because you're, you know, it's a loss of, of what you thought your life was going to look like. And on top of that, you have to make these incredibly difficult decisions around your children, if you have them, and around money. So when you're emotionally wrought like that, it's really hard to make decisions anyway. It's called reptilian brain. You go into fight or flight mode. And so, you know, just even getting out of bed is sometimes a chore. But then to have, you know, either contentious or not, you're ending this relationship. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about money. All these things sort of hitting you at the same time. And basically what I do is it's like having a contractor. You would never just go build a house and like get lumber and start hammering nails into pieces of wood. You need someone who knows what they're doing, who's been through it, who can help you set goals, get things done, do your financial paperwork, you know, talk you down off the ledge when you're feeling just terrible that day or help you communicate better with the person that you're divorcing, help you communicate better with your kids, effectively co-parent and try to create a new family out of the ashes of the old intact one. So that's what I do. It's like having a a really good friend who is also an expert, if that makes sense. So it's a little bit of everything. It's emotional. It's financial. It's, I don't, you know, I refer people out. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a financial analyst, but I, I know a lot of them. And, um, I sort of work together with all these other specialists to help people through the process. Well, I would, I would imagine you're up to this point where you've had such so much trauma into your I mean your life when you're in 16 then you have this wonderful acting career all of that has got to help you do what you're doing right I mean I I would imagine I mean I can tell how empathetic you are yeah you know and Aww, no you really nice. know it's you're lovely and I would imagine all of this yeah how did George Costanza help you out with your <laughs> no but I mean in honesty it's got to I mean this whole kind of evolution led you to this point which i think is just so interesting well it is actually i'm kind of i'm really grateful for all of it you know like divorce sucks i mean it really does it's a terrible thing and i was very um hurt and but it's at the same time like it i ended up with my kids full time and just because that's how it worked i didn't have to fight for it it just happened that way and you know, thank God. I feel like I got like this gift because I, my two daughters are so, I mean, and I'll even say this, the divorce and the murder allowed me to be a much better, better mother. Yeah. And part of that was a, my kids knew the story about the murder when they were young. And in part, it's because I don't keep anything. I mean, I'm obviously keep people's confidentiality like nobody's business, but I, I'm very honest and I'm also very honest about my own frailties and mistakes. And um, I'm, 
I easily admit when I'm wrong most of the time. So, and I'm, I'm wrong a lot. And one of the things I sort of have taught my girls from the beginning is you have to trust your gut. You absolutely have to trust your instinct because it will never steer you wrong ever. And, and that has been a lesson for both my kids and they're in much better shape than I was at their age. I mean, they're like excellent people, you know, that one of them has an amazing job and she's just fabulous and smart and gorgeous and the other one is at NYU and she is thriving and just spent a semester abroad and loves school and she's smart and crafty and creative and they're just amazing people and I think they I think they have benefited from some of the trauma in my life Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense because we're just on so you know who else would have benefited from that Matthew yeah. Perry. Yeah. Screw him. He would yeah. have. He, he did not know what he. Yeah. He made a. He made a bad choice. He should have stuck it out with me. I was awesome. Well, really this has awesome. been a fun interview. Well, I mean, you are uh, wonderful. This you is really a, are. This has been a really great interview. Thank you very much, Alex, for being on the show. If people want to follow you, what is the best way to do that? Let's see. I am real Alex Cap on Instagram, and I guess that's kind of it. I'm done with Twitter. I'm bored. The whole thing yeah. is too confusing now. I can't even figure out what I'm looking at. I can't feel the and same. And then my my. In case anybody wants help with divorce, it's um, Golden Rule Divorce Management. I made it a little complicated, but that's what it is. Golden Rule Divorce Management dot com, and we'll find a link to those YouTube videos just because yes. they're funny. Yes. yes. And yeah, watch Star Trek. I am a sound alike for the original voice of the computer who was Gene Roddenberry's mistress and subsequent wife, Majel Barrett. And uh, I was obsessed with Star Trek as a kid, the original in high school. It was on at midnight in New York, and I would watch it when I got home from the bar oh. if I was home that early. And it was just a fantastic stroke of luck that I got to play her voice. So now I'm I'm a computer. I'm the voice of the computer, yeah, which we- I... We referred to Star Trek as Bong Track when I was in high school. We would just get stoned and watch Star Trek. And I loved it. You know, it's uh, so good. It's so bad. And I, I you know, the original. My my boyfriend is like, "What is wrong with you that you watch this? It's terrible." I'm like, "It's so good. Oh, I love it so much." Oh, but yeah. the new one is actually great. It's actually funny and kind of harkens back to the original. I re- it's it's actually really good. So are there any um, tribbles? Uh, no, no, there's no tribbles. Oh, yeah, Not that I see. Maybe they'll come back, though. Okay. That well, little, something, yeah. that's a free idea. You can throw that out there. Because you know what? That's a, I'm sure they haven't thought of it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. good job. <laughs> oh, my God. Jablinski, how, how did you not have thought of that before? Uh, well, Brilliant. Uh, really, thanks a lot for yeah, doing thanks, this. Thanks, Alex. And, um, appreciate it. And, if you know, whenever you have your new stuff, come and give us a call, and we'd be happy to um, promote whatever you need to do. That sounds fantastic. And thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks, Alex. See you. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. That's uh, Alex Cap. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty interesting uh, Yeah, life. boy, I didn't think yeah. we were going to get that much uh, out of that uh, that the, murder story. The, Holy mackerel. I remember all of this yeah. know, and how it was everywhere. Yeah, it was. Well, we have people to thank. We should uh, thank Brandon Herman for uh, scoring mm-hmm. uh Alex for us as a guest. Uh, also, our executive producer, Tony Lasana with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards, O-P-P-I-H-shows.com. We're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Manushman Celebrity Editor. The preceding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up?